Okay, are you ready for another challenging message from the life of Moses? How about I give you a line? Your line is, bring it. Hey, are you ready for another challenging message from the life of Moses? Hey, are you ready to do more than learn? Are you ready to change this morning? You forgot your line already. Hey, are you ready to do more than learn? Are you ready to change this morning? Good, that's good. Hey, are you ready to be taken out of your comfort zone by what you hear this morning? Let the record show you asked for it. <laughs> Moses 1 last week, amazing message. Moses 2 this week. It's a, it's a hard message to hear that will challenge you personally. Let me begin by illustrating what this message is about by using a story from the recent past. On March 11th, 2011, you may recall that the, the fourth worst earthquake in history struck off the coast of Japan. 15,000 people would die. And those in the coastal cities found that they had moments to reach a safe place before the tsunami waters came in and swept through their town. Check out this news footage from that day. え、ご覧の通り、え、津波が押し寄せて車が流されています。されています。え、家族です。いや、大丈夫かな。津波来たわ。え、津波。え、家族3人が、え、車の上に取り残され、今、あ、上に避難しています。あ、余震もありますね。
And when we look around our neighborhoods and through our families and at our coworkers, we have to see people in need of rescue. If we don't see what God sees, we will not catch the urgency. God has sent us all to be his rescue team. This picture should be what the church does. Uh, You should be in that boat bringing back some who have been rescued. You should be in that boat going out and looking for more who need to be saved. This is what the church is called to do. But sadly, the church is not doing a good job of rescuing the lost. Um, Why is that? Well, it's because, honestly, we're all apprehensive about what it means to reach out to the lost. And therefore, we're reluctant to do it. So what does God do when he looks down and sees his people apprehensive and he sees them reluctant to get in the boat and to go save people? Um, He gives us an example in the Old Testament of someone who was very apprehensive and very reluctant to go on a rescue mission. That man's name is Moses, and he's going to coach us this morning on how to do outreach better. Let's pray, and then we'll learn together. Father above, we thank you for this ordinary man. We thank you for the dilemma that you put him in this morning. It's the dilemma that each one of us will find ourselves in. And you tap us on the shoulder, compel us to look around and to see the lost, to do something about it. But Lord, let us learn from him. Let us learn much from him. And the same answers you gave to him, may we receive today and may we be encouraged and emboldened. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 3. As you know, last week, Moses, episode 1, he was saved from the Nile. He was raised royalty. He had everything this world could offer. And then by faith, he left. And, and, And he escaped Egypt as a fugitive, wanted for murder. And off he went to the middle of nowhere. He was 40 years old when that happened. Now we catch up with him 40 years later. Listen, we now have an 80-year-old Moses. He spent 40 years doing who knows what. The Bible doesn't even report it. Why? Because God stirred his soul to be a deliverer. And he unfortunately took the wrong path at first. But now God was about to reveal to Moses why he was even on this planet. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock. (laughs) What are you doing now? I'm a shepherd. Wow. Of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Check it out. This is a uh, map. This is a map of where Moses would travel. So that Egypt's over there on the left. He left there. Uh, and then down there at the bottom is Mount Sinai, also known as uh, Horeb. And, and so that's where he's hanging out now. Israel is, of course, up uh, past Canaan there. So check out a picture. This is, this is like what it looks like. Uh, yeah, who wants to go to a vacation there? That looks appealing and pleasant, doesn't it? <laughs> Palace or... Okay. 40 years. But something's about to happen. He left all the power. He left the privilege behind. He left it, he left it all. And he's tending a flock in the wilderness. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. This is is a great story. Moses is just out there, you know, having lunch or whatever. And and then this bush just kind of catches fire. God knows how to get a man's attention. There are certain things that are universally interesting to a man. And all men love to play with fire. 
Right? In fact, if you're a man, raise your hand if you've got a story from when you're a child of when you got in trouble playing with fire. Go ahead and raise your hand up nice and high. Yeah, see, we've got a problem. <laughs> God knows that. He uses that predisposition, and, and God's like, all right, I'm going to give. These are like ancient pyrotechnics, you know. This bush, and, and Moses is like staring at this thing. It just keeps burning. So he decides to go over, check it out. This is great. God's watching. God's watching this happen. I will turn aside, Moses said in verse 3, to see this great sight by the bush is not burned. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Notice that it's God, the angel of the Lord. Is, it's God who's calling from the bush. He says, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. <laughs> this is great. I'm 80 years old. And that plant is talking to me. Moses! Did you hear something? There's like sheep. Did, nobody's here. Moses! There it is again. I'm losing it now. The plants are talking to me around here. Would you feel like you're losing it if a bush just called you by name? Wouldn't you feel maybe something's going... And later, he's going to have to tell people about this. He's going to have to go home to his family, and he's going to be like, okay, we're moving to Egypt. What? No, hear me out. Hear me out. Okay, this bush... <laughs> Sad. No, no. <laughs> Grandpa's being weird again. Like, this is something. A bush talked. Moses. Moses. Then, then Moses talked back. Like, I thought my mom was weird when she talked to the dog. But if she started talking to the plants, then I think she was really going to a, a place, right? And the bush is talking, and Moses is talking back. Uh, here, here I am. Then he, okay, so now from the novelty, now it becomes very serious. In verse 5, then he said, the bush, God, do, do not come near. Hey, don't miss that. First thing, do not come any closer. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Notice how God has to get Moses to a proper place of worship, fearing the Lord, before he can use him. Notice how before Moses is even welcomed any closer into the presence of God, do not come near. I've got to do something in your heart right now to reveal to you who I am before you can even get near me and live. You see how worship comes before we can even walk with the Lord or we can even work for Him. No, no, do not come near until I get you in a proper posture of worship. And the fact that this is God revealing, to him, revealing Himself in this burning bush means God is showing Moses that He is a consuming fire. You can't just barge there. You can't just, on your own terms, go there. You're not able to. He's a consuming fire. He's light in the darkness. He is holy and and you have to stop and listen and respond. Do not come near. Show reverence, fear, for you are standing on holy ground. Verse 6, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Well, Moses got it, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I don't know what your reaction would be if God showed up in front of you, but maybe fear, like, like I killed a man, like, like I, I ran from Egypt, and like, should I have done that? And he was afraid. He was afraid to look at God. He hid his face. And verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely 
seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, write this down. God is sending us on a rescue mission. Jot that down in your bulletin. God is sending us on a rescue mission. He sent Moses on a rescue mission in the Old Testament. I've seen, I know, I've come down. And in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus sent us on a rescue mission. It's called the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Go, I'm sending you. God sends us on a rescue mission. God sent Moses on a rescue mission. This is fascinating. Because what's going on in Moses' heart? Well, on the one hand, he had to be like, this is what I wanted to happen 40 years ago. Like, I didn't have the best plan. You know, I just went and killed one and, and tried to bury the body. That would have taken a long time. Okay, plan wasn't good. Heart was good. You know, I wanted to lead my people out. And, and but where, God, where have you been the last 40 years? Where were you then? Maybe that's going through his heart. I don't know. But there had to be something in him that was like, yes, I saw their affliction. I tried to deliver them. And you're coming down. But then he also had to kind of be like, but you missed. Like Egypt, you know, I mean, we're talking a couple hundred miles north, northwest. You know, I can show you where it is on the map, but what are you doing here? Why are you here? Why is he here? Moses was probably wondering about this. I've come down to deliver them. Okay. Reading on. In verse, the last part of verse 8, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. That hurt my mouth. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. Away. Whoa. Whoa. You said you were coming down. What do you mean, send me? I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Uh, this, wow. I've come to, you came down, I'm going to send you. Send me, you came down. What do you want? <laughs> this is fascinating, okay. All right, so Dave, if you could go on vacation anywhere on the planet, where would you pick? Just throw a place out there. Hawaii, that's pretty nice, okay. You're in Hawaii, okay, relaxing. And if God, like, appeared to you somehow, you know, like a palm tree or whatever, and, and he said to you, Dave, you're pretty upset about some of the things that are going on in your country, right? Like, you're pretty let down by some of the things you're seeing. Out, they're messed up, right? You'd say, yeah, right? All right, I'm, I'm going to send you back. And I'm going to save your entire country. The whole country. So go. Would you be a little intimidated by this assignment? Would you start to shake in your shoes a little bit? Like, like it's hard enough for me to knock on the door of my neighbor, Lord. The whole country? God is sending us on a rescue mission, and God sent Moses on a rescue mission. Moses, here in the very presence of God, knew that God had come down to rescue his people, 
and God was going to use him to do it. This is a crisis of faith, and it's the crisis of faith that you and I will be put in, that you and I are put in right now. I want to save people. I see them out there. I see them stranded. You're in a safe place. Get in the boat and go save people. It's a crisis of faith, but our name is at the top of the assignment. Well, Moses was like, okay, I have some concerns, burning bush. Can I share my concerns with you? <laughs> and uh, I'm glad that the Lord allowed this little conversation to happen. <laughs> Flaming, burning, miraculous bush, presence of Almighty. I, can I share my concerns with you? And, and this conversation shares five excuses we make and responses that God has to us. All right, so here they come. Here's the first one. You can jot this down. The first one is, I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. When God expects me to be the one to reach out, I feel like, you know what? I, I'm a nobody. I'm not the one to do it. Uh, this excuse comes in verse 11. It says this in verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I surely I'm not the one. I'm a nobody. I mean, you don't want me. Uh, I, I'm not the one. All right, here's the response. Jot this down. God's response, I will be with you. I will be with you. I like God's response because Moses says, Who? Who am I? I'm, no, I'm a nobody. And then in verse 12, God says, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought this, the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Uh, God can't use me. I'm way too introverted. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the one. I'm too timid. I'm kind of klutzy. I'm really bad with directions. I'd probably get lost halfway to Egypt. I would never even make it there. I mean, who am I? I'm not, I'm not the one, Lord. I'm a nobody. Observe that the Lord doesn't try and build up Moses' self-esteem. No, you are a somebody. You were raised in the palace of Egypt. Come on. You know their politics. You know their leaders. You know their culture. You saw the oppression of what's going on in Israel. You can do it. I will be with you. Do you know where your courage comes from? Do you know why it's going to work if you try it? Not because of anything that you've got going on. Because God says, I'll be with you. That's it. God could have said to him, no, 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 no. You're the perfect person. I, my whole life I got you ready. For, nope. I will be with you. I'm a nobody. Yeah, but I'll be with you. Hey, maybe you feel like Moses. Do you feel like Moses? I'm too old. Moses was 80. I'm too busy. Got the family and the kids and laundry. And too busy. Well, I'm too sinful. They would just point out all the things that I've done wrong. Yeah, but Moses was a murderer. Have you done that? Hey, come to church with me next week. You killed a man. You're right. I shouldn't really be the one delivering this news to you. <laughs> Murderer. I'm a, I'm a failure. I laughed. They're going to think I left them. Right? Where did he go? Where have you been all these years? The bottom line is Moses, right now, whatever he was in a previous life, he's now a smelly nomad. That's it. God appeared to this smelly shepherd and said, you're the one. Go. 
And the fact that you feel ordinary and you're like, I'm a nobody, I'm not, God can't do that through me, right? God's like, I'll be with you. That's all you need to hear. So maybe you feel that way, I'm a nobody, and God says to you, I'll be with you. <laughs> he kind of basically was saying, you're right, but I'll be there too. God promised that he would do it. It's amazing. Moses continues with the excuses. Okay, so reading on, look at verse 12. He says, I, you know, I'm, I'm a nobody. The second excuse is this, jot this down. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? I, I don't really know what to say. Like, they might have questions that I might not have answers to. And then I get all like, you know, I feel embarrassed. Maybe you feel that way. You feel like, well, if I bring it up, then they're going to ask things. And I'm not, I'm not, I haven't been to seminary. I don't know the Bible all that well. I feel like, like I'd run out. So I'm just not going to do it because I don't know what to say. Response, God's response, I'll tell you what to say. Write that down. I'll tell you what to say. Uh, it's unclear what Moses' complaint was here. Maybe, maybe he knew that the Israelites worshipped many gods. Okay, maybe, maybe they, and so he, they're like, well, which god was it? What's his name? And maybe he's afraid that they're going to be like, yeah, right. Uh, but he doesn't know what to say. And he thought they wouldn't believe him. Um, so God decides to bring up. Okay, I'll clear that up for you. You want to know which, you want to know what to say? Here it is. Reading on in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Okay, picking this apart, first he says, tell them I am who I am has sent you. Say I am has sent you. This is not the name yet. This is like the verbal form, which is more descriptive of God's nature. Uh, it's supposed to reveal that the nature of God, for him to be able to say, I am, is the only being in the universe that can say, I am, and it's always been true, and it'll never not be true. It refers to his eternality. It refers to his ever-existing, self-existent nature. Hey, your memory is only wired to go all the way back to when this universe was was commanded into being. A big explosion, right? You, you can go that far back. What was before no thing ever existed? You, you can't even access that file. You are, not, you are not cognitively equipped to think before that moment. What is if nothing in, the, in this universe is? Well, well, God is. Try and figure that one out. He hasn't given you the ability. But he says, okay, all these other gods, they're going to think, which one is it? Tell them the God that says, I am. Always been. Always will be. It's profound. He says, say I am has sent you. He depends on nothing for life. And by the way, Jesus said in the New Testament to his accusers, right? Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus put that description on himself as well. And then he gives the proper name. He says, uh, I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And then God said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord the capital L-O-R-D there, it's four letters in the Hebrew, Y-H-W-H. This is Yahweh. This is the name of God, and they treated it with tremendous reverence. The scribes wouldn't even write it. They were afraid to even write it. But the Lord revealed his name to Moses and said, this is my name. 
Whenever you see that, those four capital letters, that is God and his covenant name. Probably not the first time it was spoken. It's used 140 times in Genesis, which happened before Exodus. But this is a, a full disclosure of God's identity to Moses at a very special time in redemptive history. And here when he says the Lord, he is, he is sovereign and mighty. He is over all. And when he says I am, he is eternal and outside of all that this universe holds. He's something else. And yet he's three feet from Moses' face. And so coupled with this astonishing disclosure of his nature and his name is his presence in front of his people. We learn so much about a Lord who is outside of everything you can comprehend. So holy and consuming fire. And, and yet he wants to be near. And he has a heart to save and to rescue the lost. I don't know what to say. God, oh, you want to, I'll tell you what to say. And maybe your objection is, I don't know what to say. And, and God's like, well, you can say what I've said about myself. Just say what you've already learned. You'll be surprised when you do have conversations about your faith, when you do initiate those, how little other people have thought through this stuff. You'll be surprised. As if they've like been training 24-7 to come at you with these scholarly arguments. You'll, you'll be like, oh, oh, you think that? You, you think the Bible says, oh, I, you'll be surprised. And how what you already know will be so useful to help another person meet the God of the Bible. God says, I'll tell you what to say. My spirit will give you words. You'll find yourself calling for those words when the Lord uses you. I, I'm a nobody. Yeah, but I'll be with you. Uh, I don't know what to say. Yeah, but I'll give you words and I've told you stuff about me. Okay, you see how God, do you think God's making it kind of easy for Moses to say yes right now? Right? Like if you were there, don't you think most of us would be like, okay. Yeah? Well, not Moses. He's not done yet. He's got a few more complaints. Uh, so skip ahead to chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, here comes the next one, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they'll say, the Lord did not appear to you. I'm going to say you did, and they're going to say, no, he didn't. They're just not going to believe me. All right, write this down. Uh, they won't believe me. They'll say, no, he didn't. It is kind of an unbelievable story, right? Talking Bush, knows, knows my name. They're not going to believe me. God's response, jot this down, I will prove it. I will be the one to prove it. Go ahead and fill that in. This brings great comfort and relief to you because God says, what I call you to do, I will affirm in the heart of the person you're reaching. It's not your job to prove it. It's my job. Reading on in verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? This is like my favorite part of the story. They're not going to believe me, burning bush. What's that in your hand? Oh, it's, it's my stick. It's a shepherd's stick. It's handy. Like if the sheep wander off, I could bring them back. And, you know, if they're misbehaving, clunk. It's my, my stick. Why? This is great. Then he said, throw it on the ground. Throw it on the ground? I need it good stick. Throw it on the ground. All right, fine. Threw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. So he like threw it on the ground and then it like rose up and hissed it. And he was like, ah! the Bible doesn't say he screamed, but we know he screamed. Ah! He ran away from it like this. He screamed like a teenage girl. No offense to teenage girls. 
hey, hey, here's this like Old Testament giant who like in our mind is like chiseled in granite. Such a tough, look what God did through Moses. And he's like, ah, it's so slimy. Ah. He ran from it. And then the bush had to tell him to come back. Come back. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand. <laughs> we have any snake haters in the room? Snake haters, yeah. My dad doesn't like snakes. Okay, I got a snake for my birthday once when I was a kid, and it got loose in the house. Jar tipped over at night. My dad threatened to burn down the house. Like he, he checked the insurance policy to see if it would be covered, and he can get a brand new snake-free house. <laughs> The Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. By the tail. All right. So like if Moses had watched Animal Planet, he would have learned that if you want to catch a snake, you've got to pin the head and pick it up by the head. Otherwise, you grab it by the tail and it can whip right back around and get you, right? So God's like, pick it up by the tail. <laughs> by the tail. By the tail. This thing is like. Distracted. I can pick up another stick. Like. I don't need this one. I'll let it go. Pick it up. Okay. Goes up. And, and then what happens? We, this is great. Pick it up. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. What a stick. Okay, now this would be a great street evangelism tool, right? You had this magic stick, right? Hey, put your faith in the Lord Jesus because God's coming back to judge the heaven and the earth. No, I don't want to. What is that? Don't make me drop it again. I will drop this stick. All right, we're in. We're in. Don't throw it down again. This would be pretty cool. It'd be pretty cool, right? Go into the house of Pharaoh. Why should we believe you? <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. My son hears about this, he's going to want one. He's going to want to chase his sisters around. This is an amazing thing. They're not going to believe me, burning bush. Throw your stick on the ground. Whoa, pick it up. Woo. That's pretty awesome. God also gives him some other ways that he's going to prove it. He goes on to do more miracles. He says, put your hand in your cloak. Okay, take it out. He sees, he sees leprosy. It right? be the equivalent of you pulling it out and seeing like terminal cancer all over your arm. Right? Spreading rapidly. Oh. I'm sorry I played with the stick. I didn't really mean it. Okay, put your hand back in your cloak. Pull it out. Healed. Healed. That's pretty cool. Right? And then he says, and if they don't believe these, you know what? I'll eat, even the water you spill on the ground, I'll let you turn it to blood. In other words, I'm going to do some pretty awesome, irrefutable things to convince these people that what I say is true. I will prove it. Do you know that God will do the heavy lifting of proving it to the people who you try and converse with about faith? I mean, do you know? Now, now he's not going to like, you know, turn your pool stick into like a serpent or anything, but, but there are things he will do to make it irrefutable in the eyes of that person. The greatest miracles God does is by changing lives, right? The whole snake thing, it didn't even convince Pharaoh. It was amazing, but it didn't work. But when you change, and when the people around you see it, 
they're going to be like, I don't know how to explain that. You got all weird on us. Where did the old you go? I don't get that. And God's using you as a proof, a miraculous proof that they can't explain of life change. He'll do that. He'll do it in miraculous ways. They won't believe me. Uh, I'll prove it. Not you. I'll prove it. Okay. Well, with the magic stick, I, I think it's a magic stick I'd go. Would you go? I feel like this is pretty awesome. Not Moses. He's still got another couple excuses. Look at verse 10, chapter 4. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. In other words, I'm not that talented. I'm not a great speaker. I don't, I don't talk good. So write this down. I'm not that talented. I'm not that talented. I'm not an orator. Like, I could go, but I don't talk great. And, I, you know, I, I have trouble finding the right words. I kind of trip over my words. And then when I say things, I'm like, oh, that was dumb. Why did I say that? So you don't want me, okay? You don't want me. I'm not, I'm not talented. And maybe you feel like that's you. Um, maybe it's not, well, they won't believe me. Maybe it's, I'm not going to do a good job. I'm not that talented. Um, you know, maybe you feel like, in general, oh, I can't sing like so-and-so. I can't teach like so-and-so. I'm, I'm just not that that gifted in this stuff. I'm just not that smart. You know, my GPA isn't that high. My ACT score is kind of like made my parents pass out. I just, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that talented. God's response, jot this down, I'll help you. I'll help you. It says in verse 10 of chapter 4, Moses said, oh Lord, I'm not eloquent. Verse 11, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Hey, you know, I reached on the shelf and I pulled out the model of mouth that I gave you, right? Now, some, some people got a different mouth than other people, right? Some motors run hot. God gave some people a mouth. They just could talk, right? God gave other people. They don't talk very much. But God's like, I picked the make and model of you. Like, I hand carved you. I made you one of a kind. I'm the one who formed you. Who, who gave you your mouth? Who made you? Who formed you? Me. And then he says, this is great. He says, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. I'll, teach, I'll be with your mouth. That's, that's kind of a great image. It's almost like, like we don't see it, but God's like standing behind him like this. And Moses starts talking. Ah, Pharaoh! I'm, and then when he's about to say something dumb, God's like... And then Moses is like, okay, reroute. And then God, Pharaoh, hear this. And, and, and he gets to talk a little bit. And then when he gets off track, and God's like, I'll be with your mouth. I'll kind of get you to say what comes out of your mouth will be what I want you to say. You don't see that, but it's what God promises to do when we take the risk of being faithful. I'm not that talented. Yeah, but I'll help you. Hey, I know your shortcomings. I know your strengths. I know your weaknesses, and this is a big, this is a big realization. I'm going to use you in spite of your weaknesses. I'm going to use you when you say dumb things. I'm going to use you when you're chicken and you're afraid. I'm going to use you when you feel like it went awful. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use you. Wow. I'm not that talented. Yeah, but I'll help you. I'll use you. Well, here comes the biggie, verse 13. His last gasp, he tries to... Tries to get out of it, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. 
And up to this point, God was patient, but now the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He's angry. Hey, when we abdicate our responsibility to fulfill the mission of the Lord, to reach the lost, God gets angry. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I'm not that talented, yeah, but I'll I'll help you. Moses says, send someone else. Send someone else. I think this can be a conclusion that gets entrenched in the heart of individuals and churches. You know what? If I don't do it, someone else will. And that thinking makes God angry. God is angry when we get to that point. When the excuses run dry, and we just expect someone else to do it. Send someone else. After God makes it clear what we're to do, after he answers our objections, after he gives us what to say, after, after he reinforces his demand over time, and he's patient, when we just don't do it, he gets angry. Wouldn't you get angry? If we watch that video from, from the beginning of the message, and if you saw all these people throwing the hose down and getting the rope out there and and then, and then the camera kind of panned around and there was like some dude on the couch watching Jeopardy. Like, wouldn't you get angry? Wouldn't like the world get infuriated at that man? Man sits on couch watching Jeopardy while tsunami waves. Wouldn't you get angry? And when God sees that in a church or in, in a home, he gets angry. Send someone else. Someone else will do it. Not my job. And we have to face the reality that What's happening in the church in the United States today is not getting the job done, right? If we needed to give the church a grade in the United States of how we're doing at reaching the lost and rescuing people, it's not, it's a no-brainer. It's an F. It's an F. Okay, do you understand that? It's an F. Any statistic you look at, it's an F. It's appalling. In the book Vertical Church, James McDonald records less than 20% of Americans attend church regularly. And that just gets them under a steeple, and who knows what they hear when they get there. Uh, 20% attend church regularly. I'm not okay with that. Are you okay with that? That should not be acceptable in this community. Less than 20% attend church regularly. And only 15% of churches in the whole United States are growing numerically. Okay, we're not obsessed about growth. But listen, 15% of churches grew last year, like had new people. And 85% nobody knew, didn't grow. Hey, I'm not okay with that. Are you okay with that? When less than 20% of Americans are going to church and only less than 15% of churches are growing? And then get this, of the churches, so that little 15%, if you look at all of them, 2% of those churches are growing by winning new converts to Christ. 2%. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that in this region. F. Big red F. See, but we're a new church, and we have the choice as to how we are going to impact this region. And, and we're in that safe ground. We've been rescued. We've been saved. And we look out, and we see what God sees in our community. And listen, the people in your neighborhood 
There's not a tsunami wave whipping through your neighborhood, right? But those people are in greater danger than what any tsunami can do. The people in your family, the people you work with, the people in your neighborhood are in greater danger. They are in eternal danger. And are you looking? Are you looking with urgency, understanding that they may not get it tomorrow, understanding that somebody has to reach them now, and understanding that that someone, according to the Lord, is you? Do you understand that? That all of your excuses, that God hears them and he patiently works through them, but at the end of the day, he's put you in a certain circle of influence, and there are going to be people that only you can reach. And if you don't reach them, you expect someone else to reach them, that angers God. So what do we do with this? God says, I'm sending you. You're, you're my rescue party. Look, at here's this picture again. He says that he wants his church to be this. And that's a choice that each one of us has to make this week. Now, fortunately, next week, we have an opportunity for you to put this into practice. Next week is Bring a Friend Sunday. It's the first one we have this year. Every time we do this, somebody comes up to me and says, they came. I can't believe it, but they came. I've had people who I invite come. I can't believe, I'm telling people, I can't believe they came. Well, maybe that could be you next week. But you've got to have the courage to extend the invitation first. Here's the last point. No excuses. I must reach out. No excuses. I must reach out. Moses does go, and a million and a half people had no idea their rescue had just begun. You have to make the choice. I have to make the choice to reach out. My challenge to us as a church is this. Three people. I want each one of us to invite three people to church next week. Right now, I'm going to give you a private moment of prayer, and I want you to write down three names of people who you're going to invite to church next week, and I want you to take a moment to pray for them. And then after that, we're going to stand up, and we're going to sing a song together. And this is a rallying cry that we're going to sing. Sing this by faith. When we get up to sing, sing it with all your heart, because it's a song about how we will be the ones to go in response to the word of the Lord. So Go ahead right now and take a moment. Write out those three names and then pray for those people right now.